the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Man, what a life. From his birth to the life that he lived to his death, it's been an amazing story. You see, even before he was born, his mother lived in absolute shame, disgrace, dishonor, because she couldn't have a child. When you're a barren woman in this day and time, everything about your culture tells you your only value as a woman is if you can have kids, especially a boy, someone to carry on the family name, somebody to take on the family business, keep the family going. And we'll find this barren woman who has an angel show up to her and tell her, listen, God is going to do a miracle in your life. He is going to open your womb. You're going to conceive of a child. And this child has a special calling on his life. He will begin the deliverance of Israel. He is special. He is to be set apart. He's going to have this Nazarite vow. And typically the Nazarite vow was something that people went into voluntarily, but not with him. His would be directed by God. And it was so important that he had this Nazarite vow that mom, you have to participate in the Nazarite vow because mom, whatever you eat or drink, that baby will eat or drink when it's in your womb. And so mom, you have to partake because there's things on the Nazarite vow that you can't eat or drink or do or cut your hair. And mom has to participate in the Nazarite vow. And we will watch as the miracle happens as this young boy is born to his mother and out of his birth restores and brings honor to his mom, a woman who lived in shame and disgrace. We will watch as young boy grows up and becomes Superman. Superman. Every time we see Superman come on the scene, he walks out, he's Superman on the outside, but on the inside is broken, impulsive, he's weak. He is controlled by whatever self-satisfaction, self-gratification he can get in the immediate moment. The first time we see Superman come out, he's walking in the wilderness and it says a lion comes after him. It looks like it should be a movie as Superman fights king of the jungle. And we will watch as Superman will rip apart the lion with his bare hands. See, the way he is a Superman is partnered with his impulses, his self-satisfaction is a few days later, he will walk by the dead carcass of that lion. And inside of that lion, there's a beehive with bees making honey. And the, the, the thing that's going to satisfy him in the moment is his sweet tooth, is the honey. We will watch as he will break his Nazarite vow, put his hand inside of the lion, which tells the Nazarite vow that tells him, you can't touch the things that are dead but he doesn't care. He will pull the honey out of the lion. He will begin to eat it. He will take it to his mom and dad, immediately doing whatever will satisfy him. Another time that we see Superman come out is at his wedding feast. You see, what happens is, is with Superman in this moment, what will satisfy him is a different type of honey. It's her. He sees her and says, I had some honey, now I want that honey because she looks good to me and everything is about the lust for him. The Bible says he fell in love with her. He didn't fall in love, he fell in lust. All he did was see her and everything about her was pleasing to his eye. And so he tells his mom and dad, I want her, get her as my wife because in that day in custom, mom and dad were supposed to go and get her for him. And mom and dad will have a conversation and say, listen, you're not supposed to marry outside of our chosen people. Isn't there a girl, a woman, just as beautiful inside of our people? And he says, no, go get her, that one. So mom and dad go and get her, and they have a marriage, and they have a marriage ceremony that lasts a week long. And here's where Superman comes into play. 
30 men come up to him during the marriage ceremony and say, hey, let's make a bet. You give us a riddle. If we get the answer right, you owe us. If we can't get it in the week, then we owe you. And so Superman gives them the riddle and day in and day out, they can't answer it. And then finally, they threaten his wife and say, listen, we're gonna kill your family if you don't tell us the answer. So she goes and cries to him. He tells her, she tells the men. The men come back on day seven and they begin to tell him the answer to the riddle. And now Superman turns into the Hulk. He has so much rage and anger built up, so much pride in himself that comes out that he is so mad that he will leave the party, he will go into town, he will kill 30 men by himself. I don't know how many fights you've been in in your life, but you're breathing. My bet is it wasn't one on 30. And we will see him kill 30 men, take all their clothes to pay off his debt. We will see him still so mad at what just happened that he will leave his wife with her parents. He will go back to his parents' house. A few months later, he finally comes back for his wife. Doesn't sound like a good way to start your marriage. He comes back. He walks into his father-in-law's house and says, I want my wife. And his father-in-law will look at him. I'm sorry. I gave her away to your best man because part of dad's duty at that time was to get his children, especially his daughters, married to another man, somebody to take care of her. And he goes, you, I thought you gave up. You just disappeared. You were pretty angry. I didn't want to, get, I didn't, I didn't want to fight you, so I, 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 I didn't beg for you to take her back, so I gave her to your best man. He is so mad at what has happened he will go out into the fields. He will catch 300 foxes. He will tie them up in a pair, put a torch between their tails, light it on fire, and in the middle of the harvest, he will let these things free, and it will burn up all of the harvest. He is so mad that the bet that they had, that then he killed these men, that now he lost his wife, and now he wants to get revenge again. So Superman catching the 300 foxes will burn up everything. The men... The Philistines are so mad that their crops are burnt because what are they supposed to eat for the next year? What are they supposed to do as they wait for the next harvest? They're so mad that they go and camp next to the, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Judah will come to the Philistines and go, hey, what are you guys doing here? You're already our kings. You already rule over us. We don't want to fight again. And the Philistines will tell them, we're here for Superman. He burnt up all our crops. And so the tribe of Judah will go get Superman. They'll tie him up. They'll bring him over. They'll hand him over to the Philistines. And it says that his chains will come apart and he will pick up the jawbone of a donkey again defiling that Nazarite vow because again he touches the carcass of a dead animal he will take the jawbone of a donkey and kill 1,000 men by himself Superman on display again over and over and over again every time Superman shows up we see it as a man who is broken on the inside controlled by his impulses whatever will satisfy him in the immediate now Three times in scripture, it says he sees a beautiful woman and he has to have her. Once with his first wife, next with a prostitute, and the third time, it's her. Oh, he's never seen something so beautiful. He's hooked from the moment his eyes, lay, his eyes look at her, and then she whispers his name in his ear, Delilah. His heart melts. Immediately falls in love. The Philistines know he loves, knows that he loves her. And so they talk to Delilah and say, listen, you got to get him to tell you what is weak, what will make him weak. And then tell us so we can capture him. And so night in and night out, she will ask him and he will give her a different answer every time lying to her. And every time the Philistines come into the room to think that they got him, 
He's still Superman. And so they book it until he finally lets her in. He finally pours out his heart. He says, Delilah, if you cut my hair, I'll become weak. And we will watch as in the middle of the night, they will cut his hair while he's asleep. Philistines will come in, they will bind him up, put him in chains. And when Superman wakes up, he will find out he's just a man. He's just Samson. He's lost his strength. And the Philistines will take him in to the temple of their pagan god, Dagon. And they will take him in there and they will have a gigantic party with thousands and thousands of people inside this temple. Another 3,000 people on top of the temple. And they will have this massive party and he will become the party trick. They will chain him up, his right hand on one pillar, his left hand on the other. And they will start chanting, dance, Samson, dance. That's a bad haircut, Samson. Do this trick for us, Samson. It is there in the middle of those pillars, in the middle of that temple, that we will see his faith come alive for the first time as he will scream out, God, remember me. Remember me. Restore my strength one last time that I might bring this temple down, that you will show that you're the one true living God, that this God is false, that you're the only reigning God, that nobody else is like you. Destroy this temple, killing all the people inside of it, the thousands of people on top of it, killing me with them. At the end of his life, we will watch as the pillars begin to shake and the stone and the brick starts to crumble and everybody inside of the temple is crushed by the walls coming down and the ceiling coming down, the 3,000 people on top falling to their death, all dying with Samson. You see, the life of Samson, although a fun, maybe amazing story of amazing strength, in Samson, man, we see one of the most flawed individuals in Scripture one of the most flawed and impulsive people, the one who only cared about what was going to satisfy him right there in that moment. And that's what he did. See, his, law, his life is marked by choices made out of immediate satisfaction. And here's the truth. The Samson story points to a greater story. You see, Samson, just like Jesus, he had a miraculous birth. Samson's mom can't have a child. God does a miracle, opens up her womb for her to conceive and bear a child. Jesus, also miraculous birth. Like Jesus, Samson has incredible power. We see him kill, see him kill 30 men on his own. We see him kill 1,000 men on his own. We see with his bare hands him rip a lion apart. We see him bring down a temple just by pushing on the pillars. Like Jesus, Samson was betrayed by someone he loves. We see that when he's betrayed by Delilah, when she tells them what's gonna make him weak. And like Jesus, Samson was called to be a deliverer. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Judges chapter 13, verse 5. You guys are excited for fourth. All right, verse 5 says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. This is the angel talking to Samson's mother. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. If you have a physical Bible and you like to take notes or you have a screen and you want to highlight on it, circle, highlight, underline that word begin. What does the author mean that says he will begin the deliverance? It's as if the author is writing out, he will begin the deliverance. And for you to know how the end comes, you have to keep reading on in the story. You have to keep reading on in scripture. You have to keep looking forward. There's more to the story because Samson only begins this part. It's as if the, the author is telling us, keep going. You see, Samson, he's the last judge in this book. 
So who is supposed to bring the end of the deliverance? Who's supposed to bring complete deliverance? What is this all about? Who does this point to? Part of Samson's story points to David. You know, David, Goliath, King David, he defeats the Philistines. David will bring peace among the enemies for the Israelite people. But just like Samson, David couldn't overcome the own sin in his life, let alone the people's sins. And so there's still just a partial deliverance with King David. See, Samson's story, his special birth, his life, his death, we find it pointing us to a greater story, Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Samson. He succeeds in every place that Samson does it. And the truth is the story of Samson, the story of all scripture, the story of all history, the story of all eternity, all points to Jesus. Flip over to Luke chapter 24, verse 25. In this part, Jesus has already went to the cross. He's resurrected. And the first couple of verses of this part start talking about there's these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And on their, on their way there, uh, they, they encounter Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. It says their eyes are hidden from him. And Jesus asked them, what are you guys doing? And they say, we're on the road to Emmaus. And they go, what's wrong? We're really sad. Why are you sad? Well, don't you know what happened to Jesus. We thought he was the deliverer. We thought he was going to bring the kingdom. We thought he was going to save Israel. And he died three days. And then he said, people went to his tomb this morning and they said that he wasn't there. And then a couple more people went again to the tomb and they said he wasn't there. But we haven't seen him. It seems like life is still terrible. We're still not, the kingdom's still not here. What is wrong? We thought he was the savior. And Jesus' response in verse 25, it says, he said to them, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so Jesus starts to tell them, don't you understand? I had to go through this. Don't you understand? All of the Old Testament, all of Scripture, because the New Testament is not written yet, all of it points to me. All of it points to my death and resurrection. All of it has to do with me. Jesus would have started to cover Genesis 3, 14 and 15, where God curses the serpent. Jesus would have covered Noah and the ark, where Jesus is pictured as the ark. For all those that believe in him, get onto the ark, get onto Jesus, get onto that ship and sail across divine judgment. He would have talked about the ram that was offered for, for Isaac when his dad takes him, as soon as he's born, takes him up and God says, kill your son, the promised one to you. And as the knife begins to come down, a ram shows up as a knower, as a separate sacrifice and Jesus is pictured as that sacrifice. He would have talked about the Passover lambs that their people have celebrated since Exodus. And he would have talked about, listen, you guys have always celebrated this, a lamb that was shed for you, which really is a picture of Jesus as the final sacrifice. He would have talked about the manna, which pictures Jesus as the true bread from heaven. He would have talked about the the five main offerings from Leviticus, burnt, grain, peace, sin, and trespass, in which Jesus is the fulfillment of all of them. The day of atonement, where Jesus is pictured by both the sacrifice on the altar and the scapegoat that bore sin. The rocks that provided water in the wilderness was pictured Jesus as the, sport, the, the, the source of spiritual provision. He would have talked about the prophet whom Moses wrote about, the one who was the Messiah, the one hanged on a tree, cursed by God, taken down before sunset, and hated without a cause, the cursed tree, the cross that's made out of wood from a tree, the cursed tree that says Jesus dies on, and the scripture will tell us that he was taken down before sunset, hated without a cause, because he was sinless that took on sin. 
Jesus would have pointed out the details of his crucifixion given in the Old Testament in Psalms, Isaiah, Zechariah. He would have talked about his resurrection and given in Psalm 16. He would have probably covered Daniel 9, the prophecy of his triumphal entry. He would have covered the Old Testament and said, it all points to me. The story of Samson points to the greater story of him. We see Jesus telling him all of history, all of eternity is about me. See, there's some similarities between Samson and Jesus' story. But in those similarities, there's drastic differences. You see, although Samson and Jesus both had miraculous births, Samson's birth would have brought honor to his mom, would have restored his mom in society, where Jesus' birth brought disgrace and scandal because his mom was engaged to a man. She was a virgin, and yet she was pregnant. And so to the world's eyes, she had sex with somebody before her marriage, and now she's pregnant, and in their culture, that would bring shame, dishonor, disgrace, scandal. Although both have incredible power, oftentimes in Samson's life, we see him use his power for his own desires, for his own will, for whatever will please him. With Jesus, he always yielded his power to the Father. It's what we see when Jesus is praying in the garden before he goes to the cross and said, not my will, but yours. If this cup can be passed from me, let it be. If there's any other way for a sinful man to be joined with holy God, let that happen. But if not, Father, your will, not mine. It's what we see when Jesus is healing a bunch of people in the city and there's a massive crowd outside the doors of the house, all waiting to be healed, all waiting to see him, all waiting to hear his teaching, his popularity is growing, his power, everything. It's massive. And Jesus goes, yeah, but the Father's will is for us to leave the crowd. We gotta go to another town. Where most people, my popularity is growing, I'm staying. These people love me, I'm staying. And Jesus goes, no, 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 my Father's will, not mine. Although both are called to be a deliverer, the beginning of the deliverance is with Samson, but uh, although they're both called to be deliverers, it's just a partial thing. It's not the complete deliverance. In Jesus, we find complete victory. We find the perfection of deliverance. You see, Samson's story points to Jesus. And the truth is, it is Samson's imperfections that show us that Jesus is the perfect hero we need. It's in his imperfections that we see it. It's not the amazing strength that we see with a hero that we need. It's in the imperfections, the flaws, the struggles within himself. See, unlike Samson, unlike us, Jesus never gave in to temptation. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, it says Jesus, uh, this is after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and, and here we go, we get Jesus, it says that uh, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, I bet. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, pay attention here. The Satan starts to quote scripture. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus says to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. Notice how the devil will quote scripture. He'll twist it a little bit. He'll tweak it a little bit. He'll take it out of context. He'll make it sound like it's biblical. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the way it is. You're taking it out of context. You're taking it out of, you're twisting it to make it fit. 
It's one of the things I have a struggle with the prosperity gospel that teaches us the best thing God has to offer is riches or something we can obtain here on earth. That's not true. God's best for us is Genesis 1 and 2 when he created the world in perfection, when we were in perfect relationship with him, when there was no sin and death, when there was none of that, when there was no shame, when he created perfection between humanity and God. His best for us is Jesus. There's nothing we can obtain on this life that is the best for us outside of Jesus. And a third time, the devil will will, uh, tempt him. It says, devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And so Satan will take Jesus on top of this massive mountain, show him all the kingdoms of the world, and he will tell him, you could have all of them if you will worship me. And we find Jesus saying, no, he doesn't give in to temptation. He doesn't commit sin. And yet when we find ourselves on top of that mountain and Satan starts to show us the kingdoms, we start to take each piece, a little a piece of each one and start putting it in our pocket. Yeah, sexuality, I want to do that my way with who I want. I'll take that one. Yeah, pride, I'll take some of that. Wealth, I'll take some of that. How I handle my finances, what I do with my family, what I do here, what I do there. I take a little piece of each little kingdom in turn, making those idols, making those my God. And Jesus says, there shall not be no other God in your life. And yet we start taking off every little kingdom and making it our God. See, Satan promised Jesus everything this world has to offer. And Jesus says, no. See, like Samson, our hearts are evil. Jesus tells us in Mark, uh, Mark 7, says, for from, within, out of the, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. From Genesis 3, from the fall of man, from when Adam and Eve committed the first sin and our first parents brought sin into the world, this has been the heart of man. Evil wickedness, deceit. Samson's imperfections really show us our own imperfections. Pastor Dave talked about it last week, Samson and us, and how so much of what Samson struggled with is really just so much of what we still struggle with. It's really been the book of Judges, the constant circular pattern that humanity continues to fall in where we continue to want to be our own God until we realize we're not God, and then we repent and want God to be God, and then we can do it all over again. It has been this way since Genesis 3. See, Samson's imperfections show us our own imperfections, and really, it shows us our desperate need for he who was perfect. You see, Jesus was perfect for us because we could not be. In Samson, we see this selfish man, one who lives and does whatever will please him. Samson is entitled. He's proud. We see that he is a selfish man, And in that selfishness, we see our need for the one who is selfless. Jesus, one who was actually entitled to a throne, would take the role of a servant, submit himself to the humiliation of the cross. He gave his life away unselfishly. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Selflessly, Jesus left heaven and came down to earth, lived the perfect life that we could not live, dying the death that we should have died, all in substitute for us. Both Jesus' birth and death are marked by disgrace and humiliation. The cross was the most humiliating death a person could go through in that time. It's there in the midst of his humiliation that we find the ultimate display of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. It is Jesus at the cross that we find the selfless, perfect hero. See, in Samson, we find a death that was only partial victory. He killed a lot of people in that temple, but it only brought a partial victory. In Jesus, we find a death that brings life. It's the only death in all of history that brings life. In John 11, Jesus is having a conversation with Martha, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It is in his death that those of us that believe in him find life. It is in his death that we are alive again, that although we may die an earthly death, we shall never taste the sting of hell and death, simply because he who was not sin became sin, bore sin. Him who is life became death, so that we will never taste death. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus' death and resurrection was for a purpose. It was to bring us back to God, the one who lived without sin, dying a death we should have died, the perfect hero of the world, took our imperfections, took our iniquities, took our sin so that we could be joined with him. So here's the thing about Samson's life, man. The good, the bad, the incredible strength and the epic failures all point us to the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the kindness of the cross. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all have a little bit of good, some more than others. We have some good in our lives. But if we're also honest, there's a lot of bad. I'm honest with myself and my own heart. There's some wickedness, some evil, there's some deceit. There's some terrible things inside of me. And just like Samson's story, my story should remind me and should remind others my desperate need for the one who was perfect. See, our perfect hero is the one who was strong and became weak for us. Samson was strong and was just strong. Jesus was strong and became weak. Our perfect hero is the one who was rich and became poor for us. Our perfect hero is the one who was righteous, sinless, and became sin for us. The one who is perfect, our hero, is the one who is life itself and became death for us. You see, the point of reading scripture, the point of doing this, the point of reading and understanding how it relates to Jesus and where Jesus comes into the story and why the story of Samson matters and how it points to Jesus. The point of it all is should move those of us that believe in him into worship. It's what we do when we take the elements. We don't just take them and become comfortable with that which is holy and sacred. We don't just sing at the beginning of service and just sing words on a screen. No, there should be a heart behind it that says, God, I worship you. Not because anything I've done for you, but oh my God, what you have done for me. You see, 
Samson's story points us to Jesus. And our story should point people to Jesus. Our story should point ourselves to Jesus. When I look at my life and I look at my story and go, wow, I didn't realize, Jesus, you were in that part of my life. In the hardest parts, in the valleys, in my struggles, in the great times, in the good times, you are part of the story. You are the reason for the story, that my story is just for his glory, that my story, part of history, is history is part of his story. And for some of us here today, maybe you're like me. Worship has become something you do, but you become comfortable with it. You become comfortable with the songs we sing. You become comfortable with standing at the cross, putting your heart out, remembering what he did. You become comfortable with worshiping God. I know that's where I'm at. As I was preparing this week, I was broken by the fact I've become comfortable with worshiping God. When I don't think I should ever be comfortable with the cross. I should never be at the place where the cross doesn't impact me in such a significant way that I don't fall on my knees and my face and worship God. And for some of you, you might just be like me, that that's where we're at. For others of you, you're not at the cross. You've never approached the cross. You've never laid your life down at the cross, the place that he laid his life down for you. And so worship is just reading off screen. It really has nothing behind it. There's no heart behind it. You've never believed. You've never put your faith in it. You have continued to put idols in your pocket. You have continued to be king over your own kingdom. And maybe for you today is a chance for you to stop being God and let him. You realize, just like Samson, just like every one of us, just like me, you're flawed, you're imperfect, and you're looking for the one who is perfect. Let's pray. If you have never given your life to Christ, if you never surrendered your life to him, to the one who gave his life for you, man, if you are still just a walking zombie because you are spiritually dead, because you've never encountered Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to die to yourself, but become alive in Jesus. So the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. And so you can pray something like this in your heart. You can pray it out loud if you'd like. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I am imperfect. I am flawed. And I know that my sin separates me from you. And Lord, I believe that the only way to have relationship with you is through the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. And so today I confess my need for a savior, for the perfect hero. And Lord, I believe that your son, Jesus, died on the cross, rose again three days later, later defeating sin and the grave, and that his blood covers me, that he was the sacrifice for me. And so, Lord, I ask that you would come and live inside of me in the person of your Holy Spirit. That you would be God and not me anymore. That I wouldn't be like Samson, 
strong on the outside and broken and weak on the inside, that he who was strong would live inside of me. It's in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, if you decided and you made that decision today for the first time and you really meant it, you can go online and you can let us know. There'll also be people from our prayer team who'd love to pray with you. If you're online, you can click online. Go to lifechurchreal.com, scroll down to the bottom, there's a new believers link. Click there, you can click there and tell us that you gave your life to Christ today. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.